We're looking this morning in James chapter 2, and so if you open your Bible there, we'd like to read a few verses. And I'm talking to you today about uh, God's wisdom, a guide for life. Verse number 1 in James chapter 2 says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there come into your assembly a man with gold rings, a fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in this good place, and say to the poor man, You stand here or sit here by my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into, into the courts? These Sundays we've been talking to you about the value of the wisdom of God. Whenever we think about God's wisdom, it's so different than what we call conventional wisdom, wisdom on the street. It's a whole new mindset uh, because when you come to Christ, uh, the Bible really means something to you. It's just not a piece of literature that you put on the coffee table in your house. Uh, it's something that you open and you gain strength for the journey. When we think of wisdom literature, we think of the, the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, the book of Song of Solomon, the book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes. And we go in there, and I, I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but whenever you read like, like the Proverbs, and you don't have to go very far until all of a sudden you say, wow, that's exactly what I needed for today. That's the wisdom of God. That's God speaking to you through His eternal Word. But not every answer is given to us when we read like that because life is very complicated. And there are some situations in our life that are black and white. You know, um, that we know what direction to go in because it's kind of simple. But there's a lot of directions in our life that are gray areas. You know, we we can't find a scripture that really deals with it here in the Bible. Uh, it's uh, oblique. It's kind of gray. Whenever we come to a situation like that, uh, we look at chapter 1, verse 5. Look at this. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ever since we've started this series, God's Wisdom, uh, I've been thinking throughout the day, you know, it kind of um, helps your, stimulates you to think about scriptural things. Uh, I've been praying more and more, Lord, in this decision that I have to make, will you give me your wisdom? And uh, it says uh, so clearly right here in the scriptures that if we pray to the Lord and we don't doubt that he will give us wisdom because he always wants us to make the right decision. God doesn't want to ever lead us in the wrong direction. And when we follow the teaching of the scriptures, uh, he leads us in what the Bible says are paths of righteousness. Remember in chapter 1, uh, the mature Christian is a person who lets the trials and the troubles of life perform their perfect work in them to grow them up in Christ so that they'll be ready for anything. 
In chapter 2 of James, the, the Bible's talking about a mature Christian living out his faith. I, I think we could summarize it this, this way. The Lord wants us to have his thoughts in our mind. We get that from the Bible. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he also wants us to follow his steps throughout the New Testament. Uh, you know, there's a lot of places that you're going to go to this next week. There's a lot of activity in your life. And in order for you to be a Christ follower, uh, you need to follow the life of Christ through the New Testament. See how he reacted in different situations. James, the first seven verses in here in the book of James talks about the wisdom of grace for all. And here, James brings an illustration. He says, listen, into your assembly one of these days will come people who have means, they're rich, but also into your assembly one of these days people are going to come who are very poor. And you'll be interested to note that here in this verse which we read this morning, that the word, there are several words in the Greek language for poor. One of, one of those words means that a poor person that actually has something to live by, a home to go to, uh, a very meager existence. But there's another word for poor in the New Testament, and it means beggarly poor. It means the beggar on the street that doesn't have a home. That's the word that's used here. In the Church of Jesus Christ around the world, there are people everywhere that fall into that category. They are people who are beggarly poor. They don't have a home. They live on the street. They live under the bridge. And here James is saying, listen, whenever these people come into your assembly, I want you to have no partiality. Don't look at them in a different light than you look at other people. Uh, the word all in the New Testament is always exciting to me. When Jesus was going around preaching, he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because, you are, because I'm meek and lowly in spirit, and you'll find rest to your soul. That's Matthew 11, 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Peter said, in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise to return, as some people count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In chapter 2, verse 1, we find that, we find the word, my brethren. James, Bible scholars tell us, the James that wrote this book was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, and he is speaking to Jews who are Christians here. And so he calls them his brethren. It's widely believed that the book of James is the first book in the New Testament written, somewhere between 44 and 48 AD. And uh, when they wrote this particular book, James did, the half-brother of Christ, I want you to notice how he addressed Jesus here in verse number one. He called him our Lord Jesus Christos Messiah, the Lord of glory. And the emphasis here is on the deity of Jesus Christ. 
Some of you may have heard of a character called Pliny the Younger. Uh, he was a leader in Rome. Actually, he was a governor of a province in Rome. And he wrote a letter to Trajan, who was the uh, emperor in Rome, about Christians back in the early years. And this is what he said. He said, they, are, they meet together on a stated day uh, before its light, and they sing a hymn to Christ as God. Very early in the Christian church, uh, people believe with all of their heart that the reason why they worship Jesus Christ is because, not because he was another prophet, because, you know, the Bible teaches we shouldn't worship just another prophet. There's only one person to worship, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they worship Jesus as God. And here in verse number one, James is saying, listen, I don't want you to discriminate the faith. What does he mean by that? Well, you know, the faith is what we believe. The reason why we're in this church today is because we're not just coming today to have a good time and fellowship and talk about some warm and fuzzy things. We're coming today because we have a faith. And we have derived that faith from God in heaven. We call it his revelation. In fact, another half-brother of Jesus, Jude. Remember that little book right in front of Revelation? He says this about the faith that we hold. He said, I want you to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. What we believe is what brings us together in this church. We have a commitment to the faith that's delivered to us in the Bible. We are the guardians of this faith. We're not only to speak out this faith whenever we have a chance, but James says, listen, I don't want you to be just a good speaker for me. I want you to be a person who lives out your faith. Faith is something that is to be practical. Verse number two through verse number four is talking about not putting people in categories. Looking at everybody as equal in a spiritual sense. Back during this time, people were extremely prejudiced. I guess they have been in every generation. There were the Jews and the Gentiles, the slaves and the free, the male and female, and the educated and uneducated. And here in James chapter 2, we have the rich and poor. Now, this statement is made to Christians. And, you know, you might scratch your head and say, hey, listen, we don't need a statement like that, but... It wouldn't be there if we didn't need it. These people were coming into the church back in that day and in the day in, in which we live, and they were bringing all their, their hang-ups, their habits, their politics, their philosophies right into the church. You know, when you came into this building uh, this morning, you brought all of that with you. I guess you could say it's, it's our baggage, isn't it? Uh, we got it from our parents, our culture, our education. And James is saying, listen, in the church, you need to lay it down. You need to look at people with different eyes. You need to do something you've never done before. You know, a significant aspect of the work of Jesus was to break down these walls that divided humanity. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, For Christ himself hath brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles, that's everybody, into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the walls of 
hostility that separated us. What is it that separates us from people? It's our discriminations, right? It's our preferences. Uh, Peter struggled with this. I think everybody struggles with this. When he showed up to preach to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he said, listen, God is really teaching me a big lesson in life. He said, I perceive that God shows no partiality. That was an earthquake in that day because people were so divided. They all had their walls. They all had their little world in which they lived. God in the Bible is trying to show us, listen, my world is bigger than your world. My ways are different than your ways. I really mean it when I say that I love all people. I really mean it. A lot of times we quote it but we don't mean it. Verse number two says this, for if there should come into your assembly a man, you see the word assembly? It's the Greek word synagogue. And I looked it up and I found that it was mentioned 57 times in the New Testament. 55 times it was translated synagogue. But in this situation, it was translated assembly. And I think the the implication of that is this. The early church, in the beginning, the Christians met in synagogues. It was the place they came together. This book was written um, uh, very early. First uh, Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Remember, the Lord was teaching Samuel, the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The church of Christ, our church, and every church that stands on the Bible, needs to be in some way an equalizer. But uh, not to think less of people that have less than us, especially. Look at what God says about them in verse number five. Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor? Now remember, that's beggarly poor. The poorest of the poor of this world to be rich in faith. He has chosen them to be rich in faith. Uh, whenever we saw even today the orphanage in the Philippines, these are poor people. They are so poor, they have no home. They have no place to call their home. They're in an orphanage because they don't have a mother or a father. Well, they had one, but uh, for some circumstance, they don't now. And somebody had to take them in. But the Lord is saying, listen, don't feel so bad about that point because I have chosen them to be rich in faith. Now, isn't that interesting? Rich in faith. And we find that true so many times when we go to the mission field. You know, we, uh, here we come, the great American Savior, and we get off the plane and Boy, we're going to really help these people. And by the time the end of the week is over, we find that, listen, they really helped us a whole lot. Uh, F.B. Meyer was a famous English minister and Bible teacher. He said this, the rich man may trust the Lord, but the poor man must trust the Lord. The poor man has no fortress in which to hide except the two strong arms of God. And so, yeah, we love to share what we have with the poor, and we've done that in our Christmas offering. Much of the money that you have given over the last 12 weeks will go to alleviate some of the pain and the hurt 
that poor people have in different parts of the world. And I'll tell you what, you can feel good about that because your Christmas this year meant more to you than ever before. But don't feel too bad for the poor people because they have something we don't have. They are rich in faith. They are rich in faith. How can we look at life in the light of the Bible, something that is so contrary to conventional wisdom? I think Philippians 2.5 says something important. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See this world as Jesus does. Um, uh, Jesus humbled himself. Remember when he came into this world? His birth was gloriously announced to the overlooked and non-religious, the shepherds. He grew up in what I've discovered to be a despised city, Nazareth. And he chose to be born of parents too poor to present more than two doves as a presentation in the temple. Jesus chose fishermen to be his close assistants, not the religious doctors of the law. Jesus chose the rejected tax collectors and sinners to be their friends. Uh, he was known for being a friend of people who are broken, who have broken lives. You know, we judge people by their past. We shouldn't. We should look at them as God looks at them and expect them to have a good future. I think whenever the Lord looks at all of us, he, he wants to view in mind a future for you and me that is so good. Jesus verbalized it in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The purpose for Jesus coming into this world is to give people eternal life. And you know, we really need that. Because life on this planet for you and me is not very big. It really isn't. Uh, almost every week in our church, somebody comes in with a fresh broken heart. A fresh broken heart because one of their either immediate family members or extended family members or close friends has left them left them here to live on but they were taken that's why eternal life is so important because to the Christian uh, death is not the end it's just the beginning of what the Bible says a brand new future with Christ and so uh, Jesus said, listen, I've come to give you eternal life. And not only that, I've come to give you abundant life. And you know, I really like this because life is so monotonous, isn't it? You know, we get up and we go through the same routine and we, we do it again the next day and the next day and every day thereafter. And, and Jesus said, listen, I've, I've got something really special for you. I have a purpose for which you can live your life. And that purpose is to point people to the cross the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ because in the cross there is hope not only in this life but the life to come and so that's a great purpose you know I, I, I admire the people of our church and you work hard and to get an education and you work hard on your job and you try to excel and I think that's all good but isn't it even better when we have a purpose beyond that something that will outlive your education and your excelling on the job something that will live for eternity 
you know, Jesus chose the untouchables, the deceased, the deformed, to demonstrate his love. And he chose them to be the first people in his kingdom. And so I want to encourage you today uh, to join me in our church to be a church without walls. And I think this is something that we have to look at consciously all the time. When we wake up in the morning, uh, we need to think, Lord, just make Philippians 2.5 a reality in my life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Lord, help me to see this world through your eyes today. Help me to take down the walls of my former prejudice. And help me to view everyone that I come into with a glorious future in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter who they are or what their past has been. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I'd like to ask you to look down into your heart this, this morning. Have you ever accepted Jesus as your personal Savior? I'd like to give you that opportunity to do that. Christ died upon the cross for your sins. He was buried and he did it all for you. And I know that it's, I know that it's easy to say, well, you know, he did it for someone else because they're in worse shape than I am. But listen, everyone needs a savior. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone is separated from God because of their sin. They've broken the law of God. They've offended the holiness of God. That's you and that's me. We're all in that same category. And so let me say to you today that there is forgiveness in Christ. But you must come to him. And you must accept him and trust him to be your Lord and Savior. And so right now in your seat, if you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you sense a need in your heart for Christ, I'd like to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Just follow it, not out loud, but in your heart. Just say something like, Dear Lord, I need you today. I need a Savior. Forgive me of my sins, Lord, and come into my heart. Come in today and come in to stay. I trust you and you alone as my personal Savior. And I want to follow you, Lord. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for this service. Uh, it's moved us in uh, emotional ways, and it's moved us in spiritual ways. I just pray that all of us will be drawn closer to you because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song.